this week on a lively experiment. The volume is turned up significantly in the race for governor. A major endorsement in the Providence mayor's race and meet the winner of this year's Rhode Island PBS scholarship. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on this week's panel, Republican strategist Lisa Pelosi, Pablo Rodriguez, retired professor at Brown University's Warren Albert Medical School, and Steve Frias, Rhode Island Republican National Committee man. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. In a tight race for governor, it, it was inevitable that negative ads would start to hit Rhode Island's airwaves this week. Nellie Garbea debuted one on Thursday, going after Governor Dan McKee for stumbles by his administration. But she was sidetracked by several errors in the ad itself. It's an unforced error the campaigns hope to avoid this late in the campaign. Pablo, let me begin with you. I know you're not officially part of the campaign, but you're very close to it. Um, I know she tried to do a little damage control date late in the day, but it, it stings at this point. Oh, there's no doubt. This is an unforced error, and this is uh, what happens when out-of-state consultants make out-of-state errors. Um, and um, I, I think the the important part of the, of the message is the fact that there is an FBI investigation, you know, about corruption in the in the governor's office, and 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 that sometimes gets lost in 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 all the reporting. The the uh, sexy part of the of the error tends to be the uh, the one that carries the day. The fact is, though, she's neck and neck in the latest mm -hmm. poll. It's within the margin of error. And I wonder what, again, you don't speak for the campaign, but she has to do something to make a new move on Governor McKee. Is that your thought? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, this is the, this is the end. This is when everyone is going to, you know, uh, try to capture that 20% uh, of the electorate that is undecided. I think most people that are already decided are not going to are not going to change because of negative ads. But that 20% is going to be determinant when no one has reached 30%. Yeah, in, in the in the race thus far. Lisa? Yeah, you know, so um, listening to the WPRO radio debate, I think that was about a week ago, we were waiting, I think, all summer for the candidates to really start to distinguish themselves. So I'm listening to the radio going back and forth, and I was hearing Nellie, and I was picturing her as a roller derby <laughs> woman, that she was doing an elbow here to McKee <laughs> and then an elbow here to Helena, and now with this ad. I had a little take, different take on this ad. I thought, yeah, maybe it stung a little bit, but boy, it gave her some publicity you know, to try to break out of the pack here. And really, what was the big issue here, that she just quickly had a, a banner that was not aligned with the message of the, of the commercial? It's still a bad commercial for McKee to have to respond to. It's like, it's like having a, a Republican primary and using AOC in, in your commercials. <laughs> I mean, that, that yeah. it is. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I mean, I've been waiting all summer, like all the other news junkies, for when the Democrats are going to start taking off the gloves. And actually, I was like, this, the governor is under an investigation, a governor's office or something is under investigation for ILO contract. And in the end, we can talk about how Nellie Gerbea's campaign messed up and was sloppy. But it, the larger po point is, the average voter, the person watching these ads, they're going to get FBI investigation, Governor McKee. And the fact that she was quoting Mike Stenhouse, uh, <laughs> a very prominent conservative in our state, 
that's part of the story that McKee can attack back, but people are going to forget about that part pretty soon, and they're going to be focusing on the ILO investigation. Well, so the governor, and we were talking about this in the green room, Steve, the governor, he's out there every day. He's a known quantity. He was the lieutenant governor for all these years. Does he have to be worried about these poll numbers, or is it actually he in, in good shape because he is the perceived incumbent, even though he didn't win the... I say when you see, basically he's a quasi-incumbent. And when you're in a primary and you're the quasi-incumbent and you're, you can't even get to a third, that's very concerning. I would be extremely concerned about that. Now, the thing he's got going for him is that in a Democratic primary, which is low turnout, there are certain constituencies. He has basically got almost all of labor in a Democratic primary. That is a big deal. Now, to do that, he did all these deals and gave people bonuses and all this other stuff, but he got the vote. And he ran this ad with his mother, who was a very, I think it was a great ad, and who votes in primaries? The elderly. The elderly. Mm -hmm. And that was a very appealing ad to the elderly. So he's doing, what it, he's doing what he needs to to get those primary voters, but he's got to be concerned. He poked, he poked uh, uh, fun at himself, plus a little bit of policy mixed in with, it, with his mother, which I thought was good. So the power of the incumbency has really been coming through since the end of the General Assembly session. He's been on the news almost every single day that he's either giving money away or he's doing a bill signing. A ceremonial or signing he's or something that it. happened three months yes. ago, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So think about that through the month of July. So this poll, the latest poll, was taken in August. And I look at it a different way. You know, almost three out of four voters um, polled said they didn't want him. So I think that is very, you know, has to be very troubling for him going into uh, the next few weeks. You got a little bit of blowback also. There's a couple things I want to talk about mm -hmm. with the Gorbea campaign. Uh, tweeting out saying that maybe Helena Folk should consider folding her cards. And that was a lot of, so t tell me your thinking behind that. Uh, it's a tweet. <laughs> I sent a tweet basically saying that, you know, after spending $3 million, you know, uh, for name recognition, if all you can get is 14%, you know, Something's wrong. I mean, you're not you're not making any progress, uh, and obviously that became the call for for Helena uh, folks to uh, to abandon the campaign. Um, so it was just a, a tweet. The other issue was about the red box. You know, you want to talk about that? Yeah, the red box. I mean, this let's is have a discussion about that and set the table for exactly what that is for people who may not be aware of what they've heard red box, what that means. Yeah, essentially in a campaign, a campaign can spend its own money that it raises, but then there are independent groups that can spend unlimited amounts. But one thing an independent group can't do is coordinate with the campaign. And so that is Even illegal. though it goes on a lot more than we would we, think, You right? don't know. It's like anything goes yeah. on in the state house. You know there are things going on, but you can't prove it. But anyway, when you do a red box is that one of the campaigns, the candidate is putting something on their website and saying, Hey, this is what I'm about. Here's some video of me. Here's some pictures. In the hope that an independent uh, group will spend money on it. But in her situation, she went beyond that. She said, people in my race, the voters in the governor's race, need to see these types of ads about my position on abortion on TV. And that's now you're soliciting. You are trying to coordinate with an independent group. And that's where you started getting a problem. That's why she got blowback from a lot of good government groups about this issue. And it kind of, I think, hurt her uh, because she's really pushed this image of I'm a fair elections person. And when you're trying to play games with the campaign finance laws that way, I think it does hurt your image. Except that in order to coordinate uh, with super PACs, you've got to have super PACs. Uh, and in this race, the only people that have super PACs and direct money coming from out of state are the governor and Helena Folks. Um, the, the Federal Elections Commission has looked at this and has ruled uh, that... Uh, 
available, publicly available internet resources are not coordination. If you're putting something on, on your website, um, regardless of what you said, Peter, Pete Buttigieg uh, got in trouble for it and got cleared by the Federal uh, Elections Commission and his call was really, really direct. This is what I want people to do uh, for me. So uh, both parties do it in, in the House, both uh, parties have entire websites dedicated to sharing this kind of information with the with, with the uh, super PACs. So it, it's it's done everywhere. Does that hurt her? Is that insider baseball? Uh, I think at this point it might be hurting her a little bit, but I, what I'm more looking at, it could be opening the door for Helena folks to really step in. When you have the two top go, you know, vote getters right now going at each other, can she emerge and say, you know, I'm the adult here, I'm the one that can provide quiet leadership going forward. So what's going to be really interesting is next week there's going to be the first televised debate on the Dem Democrat side of the gubernatorial. First time for voters to see everyone side by side. There's been a number of forums that people have been able to attend, but not been publicly, you know, televised. So I'm going to be looking for in the first 20 minutes, will Helena folks do something that will you know, set her aside from the group, get the headlines the next day, and then as we get into September 13th, is she going to be that horse that comes around the side mm -hmm. and then goes right, you know, and wins? And she has, and she has done it by, by just saying that I'm not a politician. So that's part of that. I always know, find that hilarious. Message. If you're running for office, you automatically de facto are a politician. <laughs> yeah. What is your thought on Helena Folks? She's done, dumped a lot of money into this race. Helena Folks is actually a candidate that has a lot of potential. Um, I mean, she has the resources, she has the background. I just don't. She got two weeks, Steve. Potential is nice. <laughs> I mean, you I mean, that's what that I, potential well, in two that's weeks. That's what it is. I, that's what I'm saying. I mean, when I saw her come on the scene, I said, this lady has a lot of potential. And then I've been seeing these ads. The whole point of an ad is to make be memorable. You got to stand out. You got to do something. And she's been advised to put these ads out that are not particularly memorable. And so to me, she should be trying to contrast herself with McKee and with um, Nellie Garbea and to push herself out there in the forefront. I mean, she could do it because if Gorbea and McKee start going at each other, you know, if A hits B and B hits A, who wins? C. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go, uh, let's go to the Providence mayor's race. It's funny, you talk about ads. Brett Smiley's doing a hell of a lot of walking these days. Have you seen that ad? Every time he's walking with these people. He's Who are these people he's walking with? But he's getting a lot of steps. Um, uh, Pablo. So Angel Tavares and Jorge Alorza, in a kind of a weird alliance, come out and they endorse Gonzalo Cuervo. So had you heard that this was going to happen? Were you surprised? I was very surprised. Yeah. I, didn't, I did not hear about it until it happened. Um, and uh, listen, this is Providence. If the Latino vote comes out, uh, whomever they choose is going to be the candidate for the for the uh, Democrats. Honestly, uh, I thought Angel is more. I, I'm not so wild about what Alors has done. That's just my personal opinion. I don't know how much juice he has. That in, in, in endorsements these days, in general, does that carry a lot of weight in Providence? Am I in Providence, that? it does it because does. what it does is that it provides you with workers, with people that are going to go out on the street and get the vote out. And both Angel and Elorza, regardless of what people may feel about them, have a dedicated group of infrastructure that is going to help Gonzalo. And what was so curious for me to see that endorsement happen, if you watch the Channel 12 debate of the three mayoral candidates, at one time they asked the, each of them, who is your um, role model or who in the past 50 years is the mayor that you look mo mo most to? And Cuervo, who worked for both, didn't say either. 
So I, so then, you know, a couple days later for him to get the endorsement, I thought, wait a minute, what's, you know, what's going on here? So that's why I was so surprised. But you're right. I think right now with Mayor Alorza, and again, he endorsed Helena Folks too. Mm -hmm. If he's out there walking side by side beyond the, you know, just that one day endorsement, but really actively working, that can make a difference in Providence. It was also weird too, because I mean, Brett Smiley cut the deal, right, with, with Alorza to drop out so they could beat Cianci and actually work for Alorza, and then Alorza uh, uh, endorses Cuervo. It's just odd. Yeah, I, I think, like, if you if you can't get your, I don't know, if you worked for somebody as their chief of staff and they can't endorse you, uh, it's kind of like, I don't know, your best friend won't <laughs> won't yeah. vote for you. I mean, it's kind of... Won't show up to your wedding. Yeah, won't show up. I mean, your best man won't show up at your... You know, it's kind of odd. But, I mean, I don't know how much these endorsements weigh in in the, in the race, but uh, certainly that was not a good thing for Smiley. What role do endorsements play? I, so I, I'm on the list. I see all of these spokesmen. So-and-so gets endorsed by this. So-and-so endorsed by this. And Nerval of Fortune was being endorsed by, like, city council people in Boston, which is such a disconnect. But... I know the uh, clearly NEA and the labor unions, that's a big deal. But all yeah. the rest of this, what do endorsements play? You know, normally it's just the headline. You know, for, for five seconds or, you know, two minutes, you get a headline and then you move on. But, again, if, if it's with the unions, if it's the body, if it's getting out the vote, I think that's going to be most important in both September and November. Who's going to be the one who gets the vote out? And if the union folks are saying to their union representatives, make sure you're getting people out to vote mm -hmm. for the people we've endorsed, that's going to make a big difference. No, it does. And again, it's a low turnout election. Midterm elections are usually low turn. Primaries are even worse. I mean, what it was, 15% yeah, or something, low. you know, last time. So anyone that can get the vote out is going to get the nomination. The, the lieutenant governor's race has been fascinating because there's been, Sabina Matos has all of a sudden decided she's too busy to, like, you know, go anywhere for a debate. And I think we talked about this last week. At what point does that become Dan McKee's problem? Because they're supposed to be hitched here. Deborah Giro has been really aggressive in some of her ads. And I wonder, it's not, it's not like Sabina Matos is up by 15 points. You wonder whether she's going to have a little regret that she didn't get out there on these debates. I agree. And, you know, she hasn't run statewide. So she's only been known in Providence. So, you know, trying to get people to know her outside of Providence, I think has been re really challenging. And for people who look to debates, to really try to figure out, you know, where they are and, you know, in supporting people. Her deciding not to do any more debates. Deborah Jura has a great commercial out right now with them side by side and that she's ducking and you see <laughs> yeah, Sabina, yeah, yeah. you know, falling mm -hmm. down. Yeah. So. What about, I mean, it's an inconsequential office in my mind, but still there's a lot of buzz. What, what do you make of her not showing up? Well, I think it does hurt, hurt, uh, hurt her. I mean, you've, if you don't show up to debate, generally if you don't have a strong fan base you know what i mean you can it, i think it can hurt you especially when she's a really big unknown i mean i do agree with you like the lieutenant governor's races i don't pay too much attention to them because it's such an inconsequential office i mean i actually think it should be got you know get rid of it like the, the, only, the only time i ever focused on lieutenant governor was when cool moose was running because he wanted to get rid of it right. and i think that's what average people like you know too many people are undecided so the more you are able to contrast yourself with the other candidates the better you're going to be and the great example of this was when the governor um, got COVID. Uh, this last forum uh, with children's. Um, uh, That's right. He's been off the trail for He was a week. off the trail, and everybody was piling on on him. Yeah. So the same thing is going to happen to Sabina. She doesn't, you know, engage with it's the others. It's the empty chair. It's the empty chair. Right. It's, it's just, let's pile on, on, and she's the front runner, at least, you know, in the, in, in the polls. Final word on that? Yeah, and we have not seen any commercials of the two of them together, the way we're seeing Matt Brown and Cynthia Mendez together in a commercial. So it's like, we're kind of together, but we're not really 
really together, you know, and I, I don't get mailings from the Democrats, so I don't know if McKee's putting anything out that has Sabina in it or not, so. I will make sure that I get your email. Oh, okay. yeah. 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 Get all of it. Hey, uh, Steve, this, this, and welcome, actually, we welcome Steve. This is your first time on Lively. He, may, he managed to find the studio okay, I, so. Uh, I hope I passed the audition. He is not, he's not scared of the microphone, so. Uh, having been in a few campaigns himself. This is the first time we've had you guys on since the Tidewater landing. Um, I mean, just fascinating all around. The governor has to cast the vote. So there's political implications to that. But we're seeing increasingly that the, the, that the numbers may not work. So w what are we missing here? I mean, I... I, always, I thought the Paw Sox deal was a bad deal. This Paw Soccer deal is even idiotic. I mean, the numbers don't even come close, okay? And so you're saying to yourself, why are we doing this? And then all of a sudden you kind of put some numbers together, like the real numbers, like half a million dollars from the laborers' union going to help Dan McKee with an independent expenditure, endorsements from unions in the Democratic primary. It's the, I think they're focusing not on whether or not this makes economic sense for the state, but whether or not it makes political sense for Governor McKee right before the primary. That's what I think is unfortunate. But you going wonder on. whether that could have backsplash on him because the people who don't like the deal, like why did he, why did he vote for this? Uh, it really, it, I have a huge conflict because my, uh, I, I own a building that is right next to the property where the hotel is going to be. Okay. So, but does that uh, help you or hurt you? Well, it's going it, it, to, if the hotel is eventually built, it will help me. If it right. doesn't, it, That's a it, big it, it, it yeah. will be there, right? <laughs> but, but, but what right. the hotel and the housing is down the line <laughs> right. on the finances, right. Right? By then, I'll probably be retired uh, to a nursing home. Um, but the, the problem here is that the transparency that, you know, should accompany these kinds of huge deals did not happen. Uh, and it's coming out in drips and drabs. And you don't want a deal like this uh, for economic calculations to come out in drips and drabs. And then the members of the Commerce Board are also talking and saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, this, this was terrible. I mean, the, we should have seen all those projections right off the bat. And you know what? If it's a good thing for Pawtucket, go, you know, mm -hmm. Fall on your face saying, you know, I'm going to, you know, whether the numbers work or not, I'm going to go for it because Potaka needs it. But when you let drips and drops of information to come out that the deal didn't work, that it, that it calculated wrong, that, you know, all, all that has come out, it's, it's terrible. It was purely political. Uh, you know, that it reminded me again of how much M Governor McKee is a mayor. So I think he wanted to take care of his fellow mayor in Pawtucket. Mm -hmm. I think politically he was looking at the voter turnout in Pawtucket and how much he needed that too. But the, you know, the, it's a stadium. It's a soccer stadium. They'll be the most expensive in the country. And I think you play 17 home games. So 120. And you got to average 4,500 people, right? Right. You know, so it does. You know, maybe before COVID, when the project first started, it made sense. But then when the supply chain and all the other issues that have, you know, really boost the price up and boost up the public investment. I think the Congress, they should have just said, wait a minute, this doesn't work. But for him to cast that vote, and that was a little questionable how he needed to be there to cast that vote mm -hmm. to make it happen. He wanted to say, I'm the one who got this over the finish line, Pawtucket, right. so you support me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we shall see. Uh, a couple of national issues before we um, head into the home stretch. Uh, the big news this week was the, the president, it, it had been rumored about uh, canceling, forgiving, getting rid of up to $10,000 in student debt. And this really does seem to be black or white. I don't see a lot of middle ground on this. Um, your thoughts on that? 
Oh, I think uh, that <laughs> higher education uh, is really the, the worst deal for this country right now. I mean, in terms of the expense of going to college and going to medical school, for example, in my case. But the prices uh, went up because the money was available. Exactly. Right? So, so, so the, but the crisis exists for those people. There's 43 million people that are going to benefit from, from this forgiveness. 20 million are going to have their, their uh, uh, debt completely forgiven. And 90% of, of the people that have debt earn more, less than $75,000 a year. So this is really a targeted relief for middle class. Uh, the problem is that we are not doing anything for the high cost of college education. Uh, and, and that's where the problem is. You know, uh, people need to take it on this debt because otherwise they cannot graduate. You have a lot of people who said, look, I worked my way through, I made sacrifices and I, so I could stay out of debt, and they look at this as what's going on there. It's, the problem with this inherently is the f unfairness of it. I mean, there are people who do not go to college, they have other kinds of careers, and they're going to be paying and subsidizing those who took on college debt. I'll give an example like my parents. They were immigrants from Portugal. They worked hard. They helped save to make, have me go to college. And now I can tell my dad, you know, that was a mistake. You should, you should, I should have just <laughs> taken on some loans, and then we just wait for Joe Biden to come along and ma wave a magic wand and make him go away. It's, it's, and it's not going to work in the end because even you see it, the more money you put into something the government does, it doesn't make it more affordable. It usually makes it more expensive in the end. You know, I, th I work in higher ed. I see every day the power of higher ed, the transformative power for the students. I'm against this. Uh, I, you know, not just for the fairness issue, because it, you know, it said if you have debt or you took something out before July 1, so it's everybody from July 1 going back how far, so we don't know the regulations there, you know, so how many people that it's going to um, impact. But there's just, if you're making 125000 and that's the ceiling, you should be able to afford your student debt um, because your education got you that job that's paying for 125000 So there's good debt and there's bad debt. Good debt is choosing education, but making the right decision for the college that you can afford. So here we go again, bailing out people who chose colleges that maybe that they were beyond what they could afford and now we're going to be bailing them out. What about that? Yeah, well, less than 1% go to Ivy League schools, so, so this is not about, you know, very expensive schools. These are regular state schools <laughs> that are expensive. Um, and, and like I said before, you know, 90% of, of, the, of the beneficiaries make less than $75,000 a year. Yeah, and if you're 50 in the hole, which some people are 50 or 60, 10 helps, but it doesn't solve the problem. The average, is, the average for the country is $40,000 for just college. If you're a medical student, if you're a doctor, it's usually $200,000 plus another 100000 for um, <laughs> for uh, undergrad. So, Does this catch the millennial and Gen Z attention for the midterms? That's is what it, this is, is that all or about. What? That's what this is all about. It's try Joe Biden's trying to help increase Democratic turnout among younger voters. I, it may a little bit, but I don't think it's going what to What do you think? So now we're hearing just a little bit of a shift, maybe. The Senate, they've had some problematic candidates. The House, what are your thoughts on the midterms in terms of the Republicans being able to come and, and flip? I think we're going to, I mean, here's breaking news. We're going to win the House, period. I mean, yeah. you don't have a president. Insightful which, commentary okay, from I mean, Steve I'm just Price. telling you. I'm just telling you right now. When you got a president at about a 40% approval rating, 
uh, the incumbent party is going to lose seats, and we only need about a half a dozen seats, we're going to win the House. What about the, the Senate? Senate? The yeah. Senate is a problem, and that's the candidate issue. When you got, and I want to be careful about talking about particular people because because uh, of my role as national committee man, <laughs> but you have problems with some of these candidates. At the well, I'll, I'll go ahead. Mitch McConnell is with you. Well, okay. Mitch McConnell said it. But I will go ahead and say it. I mean, you look at Pennsylvania, which is a Republican, you know, Pat Toomey, and yeah. then you have Fetterman and Oz, and that, I mean, I can't imagine Oz winning that race, but whatever. Yeah, so the polling question that you always have to look for are people um, supporting the direction that the country is going or not. And when we have, you know, 75% are saying that it's not going in the direction that they want, people want change, and they'll choose the person, you know, kick out the incumbent and choose the challenger. Final thoughts on that, 30 yeah. seconds? H Herschel Walker in, in, in Georgia. Yeah. Oh, I mean, goodness. come on. Yeah, yeah. Give me a break. And, and there's also one... Just think, Herschel Walker and t potentially Tommy Tuberville. What a team that's that right, would be, right? right. <laughs> uh, but, but there's also one issue, and that is the Trump issue. The fact that the president is really sucking the air out of the room. He's sucking out funds out of campaigns um, and the attention of the press, and that could hurt even the House. All right. It's a quick uh, it's a quick 30 minutes. Steve, great to have you. We hope to have you back. Thank you. Pablo and Lisa, great to see you. Finally, we have a special segment to end this week's program. Jay Shell Nicole Schenk is the winner of this year's Rhode Island PBS scholarship awarded to a high school or college student pursuing a career in broadcasting, communications, or journalism. Jay Shell, the fifth winner we've had, is a graduate of the Met School in Providence and begins her freshman year next month at Bentley University in Waltham. I had a chance to speak with her a couple of weeks ago. And welcome back. I am so pleased to have Jay Shell on the set with us. First of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. You have done more in your 18 years <laughs> than I think I've done in my entire professional <laughs> career. And you were interested in going into journalism, which yeah. is what we do. So Bentley University, is a, tell me first of all why Bentley and why you're going there. Yes, I'm actually a double major at Bentley. I'm double majoring in diversity, equity, and inclusion, along with a double major in media and culture, which is their journalism major. So I'm really excited to combine both of my passions. I have a background in politics, but I now cover rustling of all things. So uh, I do a lot of different things, but I'm excited to explore all of those passions. So, folks, I was glad to have her on because I'm a big wrestling fan. And what stuns me is, so you said early on you were interested in wrestling and then you kind of fell away from it because yep. it wasn't cool. Yep. And now you're full into it. So this is WWE. Yep. You're interested. You have a whole coverage podcast. Tell me what you do. Yeah, so I cover WWE, AEW, Impact. Ring of Honor, all of the wrestling companies, New Japan, stuff overseas. I cover basically everything. I cover podcasts. I write news articles. I report exclusive news. Um, I send out press releases, all of those things. I even made my own documentary about being black and pro wrestling. So you are known in the industry also? I would assume oh, you're making yeah. a name for yourself. Yeah. I so when you call or you try to contact somebody, they know who you are. Yeah, I met the owner of AEW, which is the pretty much the second largest wrestling company in the world right now. His name is Tony Khan. So. What do you like about wrestling? I actually love the analysis part of it. Originally, it was just something that I could use to escape whenever I was doing schoolwork or whatever. I would just put on some wrestling and try to analyze what move is coming next. How are they telling the story? How do they create their characters and all of those things? I kind of put myself in their shoes. Let's go back two years to the protests that were going on in Providence. And you were right in the middle of all of that. Yep. And that's some of kind of what inspired you. You got in the middle of it working as kind of reporting and being on the front lines. Tell me how that affected you. Yeah, so... I actually had kind of been a youth organizer since freshman year originally. And once I kind of saw what was happening with George Floyd, I was like, this is my chance. This is my opportunity to kind of take it 
take my power back and I put myself in the forefront. And I knew that I was always a leader. So when it came to organizing protests, I was the most scared about that part. But once I began to kind of create connections with different politicians and leaders in the community, I felt really supported and I was able to hold some major protests and major events that actually did end up um, helping create policy change. And you also formed some organizations also, right? Yes, Tell along me about the that. way, yeah. Uh, I formed an organization titled Gen Z We Want to Live. Um, we fundraised, I believe it was $30,000 in our first year. How'd you do that? Lots and lots of sleepless nights. I, I, I like to think that I'm really motivated and really hardworking, especially when I want something. I'll go after it, and I won't stop until I get it. Where do you see yourself? I mean, college is such a time for yeah. a lot of times people go to college and they think they're going to do one thing and then they go off. But in your mind, do you have kind of what you want to do in college and beyond? Or is it too early to tell you? Well, beyond, I know what my dream career is. Um, I actually want to create a position within WWE and I want, or AEW, whatever the wrestling company may be, but I want to be their diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. I want to make sure that um, the wrestlers backstage are being supported, all of the staff, make sure that their characters on screen are being reflective of the black community and who they are as individuals. Do they have that now, or would that be something no, new? No, it's something that I have to make, but I feel like I'm already starting to um, follow that path as I created my own documentary about it, and I, I have many other things in the works. I have a feeling we're going to be hearing a lot about you in the future. Yes. Hey, thank you so much for coming. Congratulations, and we look forward to see how things yes. are going thank at Bentley. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Folks, thank you for joining us. Please come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.